We're talking about the Holy Spirit. I love the Holy Spirit. I can't think of anything I'd actually rather talk about or do. I, I remember um, I, I grew up in western New York in the footsteps, the literal physical footsteps of, of Charles Finney. Um, and I remember this. I, I was raised in a family that was really charismatic. Both of my parents were led to the Lord by experiences. And then the Holy Spirit, through visions, discipled them into church. Um, at one point, Jesus said to my mom, you need to start to relate to the other Christians so that you can be whole. And she was like, Christians? And he was like, yeah, I'm that Jesus. She was like, really? (laughs) (laughs) So I always had a unique perspective, you know, because that affects the way you see. So we, uh, we grew up in this area where there was a deep well of revival that was mostly untapped. So this can happen from time to time where these things get into a second and a third and a fourth generation and management kind of becomes the priority. And we end up with less vibrant bodies of Christ where there were very vibrant moves of the Holy Spirit. And so I, I, I attended this um, Wesleyan high school. I know that's weird, but it's true. It was a Wesleyan high school. And the Wesleys themselves were among these fiery folks early on in their movement. And this, this Wesleyan school was in a town that had been um, called Jockey Street. It was along this towpath for a canal. And it, was, it had five or six brothels and two or three bars and a couple lodging quarters kind of places. I don't even know if you'd call them hotels. I think they were less. <laughs> I think they were lower on the totem pole than hotels. Um, but what, what it was culturally, it was a, a reflection of these, these laborers and you know, what they were after in life. And Charles Finney came through, and the, the whole town was converted, essentially. I mean, the, the, the record, anyway, shows that the whole town was converted. And um, a little kid named Willard Houghton, little farm kid, um, who happened to be at a part of these meetings, got saved, and um, was fortunate as an adult to go away and get educated in the big city of Rochester, New York, where I was born. And yeah, Vinny's like, yeah, I got three, three Rochesterians here who are willing to acknowledge that they're Rochesterians. It's the, it's the Soviet Socialist Republic of New York these days. But so, so Willard Houghton, as a kid, gets saved. He goes, to, he goes off, gets educated. He comes back, and he sees that all of his friends whose parents didn't have the means to help him get educated are, are still doing what they were doing when he left, and that they're in their 20s and 30s. And and he feels that there is a call on his life to make money, to use that money then to start educating, helping educate these farm kids. So he founds a seminary that becomes a university where I went to college. Um, and the seminary eventually gets absorbed into the university and the buildings become a school, high school, middle school. So that's where I went to school. So there was a well there that had been untapped and I remember one night, um, maybe 14, something like that, 14, 15 years old, walking down the main street, which had been the main street since it was an Indian path, literally. I mean, it was a main street long before it was a town. And I was praying, and uh, this, is, this moves me still. I was just, <laughs> wow. I was just asking the Lord to send the Holy Spirit. This was, this was kind of mid-revival times. We were, this was maybe the year 2000 or the late 90s. and We were all having these experiences of renewal uh, as, as large churches. And 
I was in this little town that had no contact with it, thought it was kind of of the enemy and, you know, was, was entrenched in their, their hardcore Wesleyan doctrine, which I'm a big fan of most Wesleyan doctrine, by the way. Um, and I was praying for him. And I'm walking down the street, it's dark, and the Lord says, turn around. And I, I look, Oof, man. And like it, was, like it was right in front of me, there are these, these potholes in the road that are full of flames. You know, these, they've got these little embers in them. And he says, breathe, ask me to breathe. I want to breathe on them. And so I, um, I did something I had not done up until then. I joined the youth group at the little church there, the little Wesleyan church. And uh, the, the youth pastor was like, there are a lot of people in these denominations who are kind of closet charismatics. Like they have experiences they can't deny. They love the Lord. They love the move of the Holy Spirit. And they're in their system. They can't, like, they can't express it, so they're like closeted <laughs> charismatics, you know. And the youth pastor there was one of these guys, and I, I had gone to one or two of these, these youth meetings, and he said, hey, do you, you, you want to share something? You know, worship was getting, like, out of control, which is scary in those worlds. It was getting to where the kids were crying, the kids are raising their hands, you know, and this is like parents will write letters about this stuff in that world if you <laughs> it's like, what did you do to my kids making them love Jesus like that? You know. So we uh, I was like, yeah, sure. So I started praying on the mic and the Holy Spirit totally fell. <laughs> like I had been praying for. You know. And kids are getting slain in the spirit, kids are getting healed, delivered saved. All these Christian kids are getting saved. You know. This has been a hallmark of our, our lives. This is my lives is that Christian kids get saved. We're really happy about that. I love the Holy Spirit. I've seen in moments like that, that he does just like this. Things that we couldn't spend enough money on counseling or, you know, not that I don't have a problem with that, but there, you know, all of the self-development that we do that we make our plans and we put our markers in place and we start to check our boxes, you know. And in one touch, the Holy Spirit just sets it all right. And he does it according to his perspective, which is so much larger and so much better than our own, you know. So I'm talking about, <laughs> talking about the Holy Spirit. And I want to talk specifically about the Spirit of Truth. This is the first time that I've spoken to you since my father passed. And I I do want to say thank you to those of you who have reached out to me. I know for some of you, you're finding out now, but for many of you, you've known. And um, I've, I've gotten letters, and I've gotten texts, and I've gotten calls, and I've gotten cards, and I've gotten visits, and I've gotten gifts. And oh, it's just, it's really wonderful to be a part of a community that loves really well. So thank you for that. The, um, the man who led me to the Lord was my dad, and he, he baptized me in the Holy Spirit as well. And there was always a sense, and this is going into the message, I promise, but there, there was always a sense in my life that I had recourse uh, when he was around. So two months ago, this changed for me. I always knew that if I ran into something I had no answer for, if I, was, if I had a question about the Lord I couldn't find something out about or, um, or whatever it was, I could ask my dad, and he always had good answers um, I said in the first service, 99% of the time. See, the other 1%, I was wrong. So he, actually, 100% of the time, he had, he had great answers. And his answers were revelatory. He had this gift of wisdom that was, it was really, it was a wisdom version of a word of knowledge. 
So he, you could ask him weird, you could ask him stuff he had no experience with and he'd give you an answer and it turns out it was right and he wasn't premeditating and he took no pride in it. It was just the Holy Spirit pouring out of him. And uh, I, that, that, I didn't realize that I had hung a hat on that still as a almost 40 year old, that I had a sense of recourse. I could turn and run and he'd catch, you know, like, okay, we're going to be okay. He's got an answer. And so with his death, I'm catching myself feeling this massive void. Of course, the natu- the, all the stuff that would go with that. But beyond that, like, man, now I've got to have answers. <laughs> now I've got to go and get what he would have gone and gotten in the spirit. And it has me pushing harder than ever, more uh, deeply, more, I don't know, there's something about it that's like in my being. It's deeper than it ever could have been if I had mustered it up. Longing for a deeper connection to the Holy Spirit. And one of his strengths, and I think one of mine, and one of the places that I tend to lean into is this, this spirit of truth element of the Holy Spirit. Of course, he's all sorts of things, but John tells us three times Uh, Jesus tells us in the book of John three times that um, he's a spirit of truth. And I love the spirit of truth. It's, it's this, uh, it's a meta truth, right? So Jesus isn't factual. Jesus is the truth. Um, And it's different because you can have the facts right and the story wrong. You ever done that before? I've done that before. I mean, come on. If you've ever watched the news, you've heard people do that to you because they're always selling something, right? But they're telling you some facts. They're trying to arrange it in such a way that it gets whatever they want out of you. That, is that too cynical? It's not too cynical, right? The news is for sale. So that changes the drive, doesn't it, right? That changes the drive from truth-telling to other things. The Holy Spirit, as the spirit of truth, doesn't lead us into a greater understanding of the facts. The Holy Spirit, as the spirit of truth, leads us into what Jordan Peterson calls, I think he's referring distantly to Jung's pseudo-theology, but meta-truth. Like a truth that's so large and so significant, it is the foundation of all the truth. It's the thing that all the truth hangs itself upon. It doesn't exist. It's undergirded. It's underpinned by this thing that is God himself. This is, this is the only real, true, ultimate, ultimate, ultimate truth is God. Right? And the Holy Spirit does all sorts of things, but one of the things that he does is he leads us into this truth. And it's a truth that specifically transcends space and time. So facts exist around us. Facts are a part of our experience. We do things, and it's an interaction with facts, and people do things to us. We make observations. These are all facts, right? But outside, we're, we're, we're in time, and time is this little thing. It's this tiny little exception to the ultimate reality. It's not reality. It's actually our opportunity to build our reality because our reality is eternity. And while we are in space and time, we have the ability to do and to undo and to obey the leading of the Holy Spirit and to try and to fail and then to repent and to carry on and to build bridges of intimacy and to choose yeses and nos. And we're doing all of these things that are creating for us an eternity. They're defining the nature of our eternity. This is why Jesus talked so much about somewhat scary things like being first in the kingdom versus being last. You guys, I think I've, I don't know if I've ever said this to you guys. I've said this to some of the youth, but you know, when Jesus interrupts the conversation that the disciples are having about who gets to sit by his right hand because they want to be the most important and all this stuff, 
we tend to look at that kind of like with hindsight and it's like, oh, look at those jokers. You know, they don't get it. They don't understand what's happening here. I don't, first of all, I don't, I hate that because I don't think I would do better. <laughs> I'm sure I wouldn't do better. I suspect I'm pretty average. But the, in that interaction, Jesus actually condones the desire to be first in the kingdom, right? So let's say that I come downstairs someday and my son Cademan is, oh, he just paid attention as soon as I said his name. He's had shut up. <laughs> ah, I wasn't talking to my neighbor. I know. Um, now he's red. <clears throat> so let's say I come downstairs one day and he's got the key to a lockbox or something and he wants to go. He's saying, dad, dad, this won't start the car. I tried. It won't start the car, right? I have two options. One is to say, don't try to drive the car. You're 11, right? That's an option, right? The other option is to say, oh, that's the wrong key. Here's the right one. So the disciples are arguing about who's going to be greatest. And Jesus doesn't say, hey, don't do that. He says, oh, no, no, that's not how to be greatest. Here is. He hands him the key. He's condoning. This is an endorsement of the desire to be greatest in the kingdom. We should want to excel at those things which are righteous. We should want to excel at bringing the kingdom in our lives. It's really good to do. This is all... (laughs) All stuff that hinges on our ability to see beyond time and space. It hinges on our ability to relate to this spirit of truth who lifts our eyes, draws our attention into the truly transcendent, into eternity. And when he does, everything else is colored by our perception of eternity. It's like golden hour. You know what I mean? When I say golden hour, there's that hour that photographers love, that I love. I think every romantic loves golden hour, right? The angle of incidence for the sun's rays comes down low. And we feel as though it's kind of like it's, it's, it's honey, sweet, warm light, and it makes everything nicer. You know, like even if, it's, if you've got like a messy landscape or cityscape or something that isn't that nice when it's really well lit, but then you get golden, you get to the evening or early in the morning and you have this wonderful colored light that changes the way you see it, right? And I'll spend as much as I can, I do have young children, so I can't always, but as, as much as, and that's a joy too. Uh, but as much as I can, <clears throat> I spend early mornings in my garden and it's surrounded by these really large trees. And as the steam rises and as the sun streams through, It all looks great. It all feels great, right? And inevitably, my eye is drawn up from what's in front of me, up from the horizon, up from whatever would probably draw my attention under the midday sun. My eye is drawn to those streams of light. You know what I'm saying? As they come through the trees and the fog, you know the whole deal, right? You can picture it. And between me and what I'm looking at, everything else is affected because I've chosen to look up. This is the gift of the spirit of truth. He raises our eyes and he changes in the process of raising our eyes how we see. None of what's in the picture actually changed. But our relationship to to it changes. So this is, this is the spirit of truth. And I, I do believe that right now, um, culturally, we're in a time when the spirit of truth is essential. I've heard people say things that I think might be a little bit 
um, inordinately alarmist, like like truth is in trouble or um, or the whole world doesn't want the truth and these kinds of things. I understand where they're coming from. Um, I don't think it's true. I think the whole world is confused, um, but they actually have always been confused, right? This is, we were confused before we knew the Lord and they're just still confused because they don't know the Lord. Um, <clears throat> the, the, the culture at a quick glance looks real bad. It's like, oh man, so there's all this crazy stuff going on with gender. So there's this crazy political stuff going on. So, okay, so now my favorite politician's not around and I'm looking for another one and I can't find one because so many of them are corrupt. Oh no, what am I going to do? You know, like we, money, our money system, uh-oh, all this stuff is going on. Diseases, um, storm clouds of volcanic ash coming from Canada or, or fire, whatever this stuff is, right? I love that our youth were in this picture with this active volcano, and Ben's like, it was great! It's such a youth pastor thing to say, you know, like, we only lost four of them, it was really good, you know. <laughs> okay, that's a move. I camped next to an active volcano once in Alaska, and I wanted to get out of there, I didn't, I didn't want to stay, but I'm not, this is why I'm not a youth pastor, because Ben would be like, get me some marshmallows, there's... I got pictures, I'm not kidding, I got pictures of marshmallows being roasted on my phone over lava this past week. I will not say by who. That's definitely not covered by insurance. I mean, that's like, tell your, tell your, uh, your doctor that. Really? Yeah. So I think if we're looking at culture in a passing glance... It's scary to us, especially if we haven't been paying attention. If we're looking at it like, whoa, when did this happen? You know, we weren't, maybe we spent 10, sometimes this happens. You get saved, you come into the church and you kind of bury your head in the sand of the church because you're recovering. You know, that's okay. It's a fine thing to do. The Lord's working in you to to undo and heal and all that stuff. And we find ourselves looking back out and going, oh, wow, that got bad fast. Right. I was, I have a story I won't tell about starting a fire that got out of hand right? That's how it was like, I did it. And I thought, oh, that's just fine. And I look away and I'm doing something. I try, I'm like, ah, <laughs> you know, like that, how that, that, we do this sometimes, I think with, with what's happening in the world. You know, the truth is this trajectory has been totally unchanging for all of time. The lost have always been lost. Is it getting darker? I don't know. I hear people say that all the time. I'm sure in some sense it is, but maybe just the stuff that was always there is maturing. I don't know, wheat and tares and fruit and all, yeah, who knows? I think if we look closely at the culture, there are actually major signs of the desire to be reacquainted with truth. Um, and it's, it's, it's not something that actually was ever absent. In fact, the desire for truth is one of the things that the, the enemy of our souls used to manipulate us into the position that we're in. Um, one thing I will say real quick, we actually have talked about this, but I'm going to say it because I think it's in context here. Um, the, the movie, The Sound of Freedom, which we've talked about a couple of times, I haven't gotten to see it. It is still playing in our area through Thursday um, here and in, on the West Shore and I'm sure other places. Um, AMC and uh, Regal. Um, so I do encourage you to go see it. Things like, I was thinking about this this week. Things like this are easy conversations to stay out of, but they're conversations that actually need the voices of revelatory minds. 
They desperately need not just kind of moralistic Christian input. They actually need Holy Spirit-driven Christian input, spiritual people coming to bear in that conversation. I remember um, when I was in, at 18, 19, 20 years old in college, there was a resurgence of social justice as a value system amongst Christians. It was like we woke up to the idea that there was human trafficking and there were poor in the world and all these things. It was a fresh, maybe the internet helped spur this. We had pictures and videos and all that stuff. And, and there was a resurgence. And, and it was primarily in sort of, in circles that are drier when it comes to the Holy Spirit than ours. And I remember seeing many of my friends who were very sincere. They were, they were, they were the empathic type, you know, they were very driven to feel other people's feelings and to include and all those things, get taken by what was a very well-intended set of values. And that was steered um, sadistically, I believe, to create the inroad that allowed the victim and, and oppressor narrative into the church. And a lot of the most extreme sort of verging on socialist believers right now, these young believers who are being taken in by this all over, especially the evangelical world, started in the social justice movement and they meant well. It was, it was, it was manipulated, right? So there was actually, so this is why I think we should be going to this movie, by the way, <laughs> because it gets our voice in, involved. And we, if we're bringing our discernment and we're bringing the revelation of the Holy Spirit, we bring something to this that actually can help protect that, uh, protect us from that decay. But that was a desire for truth. That's, that's where it was there. It was always there. It wasn't, you know, like, I think we get a little bit dramatic about where it is and where it isn't. Um, I, I see it in music. I see it in, in the, the availability of particular information politically. We're looking, these days, I almost never listen to a commentary on a political speech. I listen to the speech. Because we can do it. We can do that, right? And there are lots and lots and lots of young people who are doing this, who are taking this approach. We just want to know the truth. And this is an opportunity, and I do think there's a season to it. And the deal with the season is that it starts and it ends. And so in that moment, we want to be appropriately engaged. We want to be hearing from the Lord and engaging with what he's doing in the earth. Uh, We don't want to be tangent to what he's doing, and we don't want to be sort of doing our own thing. When the, uh, the world comes looking for truth... It's important that we don't just bring a moralized, sort of like an ethics kind of, this is something that Carl Jung could do. This is something that actually uh, any totally atheistic student of ethics could do, uh, or a Christian who doesn't actually hear from the Lord could do. Uh, But we have, as a body who believe in, experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit, We have the ability to refer not only to the spirit of truth in terms of the facts, but to the spirit of truth in terms of what is always ultimately overarching, unshakably, undeniably, irrevocably true. The absolute truth. And we can bring it through our personal revelation. We do the same thing my dad would do when people would sit at his feet and ask all these ridiculous questions. It's basically just the word of knowledge Somebody brings a question, somebody coming into the church looking for the truth comes and brings us, and we have it to give. If we're not relying on the Holy Spirit to do this, we end up building our own structures to do this. We, we refer back instead to ourselves. 
Um, Charles used this great analogy with the staff uh, a week or two ago about using a compass. If you don't know how the compass works and you're trying to figure it out and you've got the map and the needle's pointing, you may think, oh, I know what I do. I point that needle at myself instead of pointing it at true north. And you end up getting lost because you were self-referencing, right? This is still possible because we have this fleshly tendency, right? We have, we have these, these inbuilt things that we're overcoming. The kingdom that is and is coming is macrocosmic, but yet still in us the kingdom is and is coming. We are saved as believers, and we're becoming more and more like people who are saved as the Spirit leads, Right. So this is there's stuff we want to be constantly turning our reference point back to the Holy Spirit, to the spirit of truth. Uh, these these solutions that we come up with on our own, I, I call Tower of Babel solutions. Right. So we all know the story. These guys are building a ziggurat, this uh, this big Mesopotamian pyramid kind of structure. And they're going to take it to the heavens. And they're very ambitious about this whole thing. It's great. You know, it's, it, tur- it turns out it was about 300 feet high. So that's like a large hill, you know, but for a bronze age, that's a big deal, right? You know, I don't want to, I don't want to denigrate it, but the reason I'm bringing that up is because that if you think of that height and you think of a skyscraper or something like that these days, it turns out it wasn't going to work, right? Did you, is that revelation to you that the, <laughs> the attempt to reach the heavens on a mud brick platform wasn't going to work? I don't think that the Lord came down and said, I'm going to have to confuse their speech and I'm going to have to mess this thing up because who knows what's going to happen. I don't think he was worried that it would work. I think he was worried they'd waste their lives on a lie. That they were unified around a lie and they were going to spend their lives on it because it was the best they could think of. And he knew heaven was coming to earth. You know, he's not, he's not worried about this. These are Tower of Babel solutions. They're, they're, they're earthly. They're man-centered. They're based on our perspective, our ability. Human solutions waste time and they create new problems. You know what the number one most predictable outcome of any decision is? This is actually scientifically true. It's unintended consequences. You get those every time. Right. So scientifically, I used to be a sort of a pseudoscientist. We would build experiments around the fact we had an understanding when we were interpreting our data that there were unintended consequences to our decisions because it was always the case. They were always present. Human solutions do this. Right? This, is, this is why we have to be listening to the Holy Spirit. The world is looking for answers. If we answer from ourselves, from our own spirits, we pull humanity from one ditch into the other. Political and social scientists see the world in binary terms, liberal versus conservative, Republican, Democrat, social versus institutional. The left is afraid of the fascist right and the right is afraid of the totalitarian left. And neither sufficiently offsets the other when allowed free reign. The only solution to the world's problems today is a theocracy, the reign of God. And I have to say this out loud because this is on the internet and I don't want to get um, the NSA's attention. Um, I'm not talking about brandishing weapons when I say a theocracy. I'm not talking about applying the government of God in some strategic top-down way. I'm just saying being ourselves governed. 
and then accepting positions of responsibility. When the men who govern men are themselves governed by God, then the kingdom of heaven is coming. And it's being applied both to his friends and his enemies. It's really important. This is one of the founding fathers' basic principles. It's really important. It's all of the best of the French idealists without all of the weird stuff that caused the French Revolution. It's the, it's the understanding, it's the belief, the intrinsic worth, the intrinsic worth of a human being is why they deserve the goodness of God, why they get the application of the good. None of us deserve it, but it's why when we meet out judgment, we do it fairly. Right. <clears throat> so when men who lead men are themselves governed by God, then true freedom can be achieved and sustained and equally distributed. This is equality of opportunity, not guaranteed equality of outcome. True freedom is the state for which man was made. This is the truth. And freedom we know comes from, ironically, because this is an upside-down kingdom, comes from submission to the lordship of Christ. So where the spirit of the Lord is, it's not where the spirit of healing is, it's not where the spirit of joy is, it's not where the spirit of Jesus is, it's where the spirit of the Lord, and that means the dominator is Kyros, the the one who has the right to do with what he wants, anything that he has, right? This is, this is the Lord. It's where that spirit is that there is freedom. It's in submission. And so intimacy is the ultimate outworking of submission, right? We, we find ourselves submitting to the Lordship of Christ, and we know that it's true in our lives because we do what he says, because we're being led by the spirit in our lives. So this isn't Ten Commandments type leadership. This is personal, the leading of the Holy Spirit. So, so John, First John says, hey, listen, if you sin, you have an advocate, so don't worry about it, right? Continue to submit your sin to the blood of Jesus. And he's using, the, the word he's using is miss the mark. So this isn't like, transgressing some known, agreed-upon set of codes for conduct. This is missing it in our personal lives, in our conviction set, in the things that the Holy Spirit has asked of us that he's not necessarily asking of others, and the things that nobody's patting us on the back for, for doing or for missing. We don't, nobody notices when we make it or when we don't. That is walking in intimacy. That expresses lordship. That sets us up to be anchored in eternity. And as we're anchored in eternity, now as spirit-led beings who are connected, we're not like had a connection once. We're not like, hey, this one time in 95, I fell down. We're not, it's, it's active, current. Uh, we are connected in the sense that we are living not on bread alone, but on every word that is currently proceeding from the mouth of God. When those are the people that the world turns to, because of their hunger. They're going to get the answers that they deserve, the answers that they need. They're going to be introduced to Jesus, the ultimate truth, the way, the truth, and the life. Um, would you stand? We're going to, I got to, I got to get you moving. One of the things that I saw a lot as a young believer was urgency towards the work of the kingdom. You know, we'd we were, it, was, it was present in a lot of different movements and it would manifest itself as these hyper fixations on particular sort of molehills that we made into mountains theologically, you know, all sorts of them in different ways at different times. And I've observed over time, and, and if you just look, go look at literally book titles from the 90s into the early 2000s into now or however you want to do it, you can track this. There's been a shift from urgency towards the work 
into urgency towards intimacy. And that is holy. Remember, we're working in a timeline that we didn't start and we won't finish. God's been doing this for a long time. This is his progressive revelation. We're actually getting better at knowing who he is and at responding to him the ways he wants us to. This is happening over time. Right? So it's important that we understand this because as we're leading spirit of truth people, we're raising our eyes so that we're seeing what he's doing out on the distant horizon. It's affecting how we relate to what's between us and that horizon. We're staying connected because we're submitted to the lordship of Jesus. So the spirit of truth has an active role in our lives and speaks actively currently through us. Now we can distribute hope. And the reason we all want truth is because deep down we all want hope. We want a deliverer, a savior, one who will heal the nations, one who will do what we all deep down know we all think should be done. This is called the restoration of all things. And you can tell when what you're seeing is coming through the spirit of truth versus that Tower of Babel response based on whether or not it's hopeful. So if we're looking out at what's happening in the world and we're panicking or we're trying to come up with a solution that we can put our hands on, you know, run some numbers and apply the plan, then we need to ask the Holy Spirit to lift our eyes because we know what's on the horizon Here's what's on the horizon. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. This is the ultimate end of everything that is. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. So Holy Spirit, go ahead and open your hands up. So Holy Spirit, we ask you to fall. Come and overwhelm our cynicism. Come and overwhelm our knee-jerk fleshly responses, our desire to build towers because they suit our needs. Come and lift our eyes and make us a blessing to every nation, to the nations in the covenant and to the nations who are yet to be added to the covenant, the nations you paid for but are still winning. Lord Jesus, come and connect each one of us by the spirit of truth to the vibrant, alive, contemporary, current, outworking of your spirit in the earth that has all the answers. When we're connected to you, every answer is the right answer. Every response is the right response. Even our gut. I believe that as we become more like people who are saved, even our gut responses, our instincts become saved. That we can trust our instincts. So Holy Spirit, would you bless this people, those here in the room, those watching online, those watching in the future, would you bless us with an outpouring of your spirit? 
that lifts our eyes and causes us to see the way that you see. We love you, Lord. We're so thankful. And we choose now to receive. Go ahead and just say, I receive. Holy Spirit, we receive you in Jesus' name.